And we're rolling and everything. This is all live. You're like a pro at this. We're new at this. Yeah. I am barely <laughs> professional. Am I allowed to take a selfie video? Uh, yeah. Is that okay? Go for it. Are we? What are we calling? So what's the pod officially called? Oh, it's called the the fucking metaverse. All right, the fucking metaverse with the dudes behind Yuga Labs, Bordy Bia Club. Welcome to the fucking metaverse. My name is Wiley Arnau, aka Gordon Goner. I'm here today with uh, Karem, Emperor Tomato Ketchup, and uh, Greg Solano, also Garga or Gargamel. We're the co-founders of Yuga Labs, and we're very stoked to have Alexis Ohanian here, one of our investors, founder of Reddit, mm. the front page of the internet. Guilty as charged. And yeah, and you have your VC fund seven seven six. I yes. participated in our seed round. So thanks so much for being here with us. Welcome. I am I'm happy to be here. I I'm still I'm a little jealous of Guy. Uh Guy Osiri, who's a, a mutual friend and a, a partner there at Yuga. Yeah. And um and assume a friend. You guys are very close. Yeah. yeah. I remember us talking June. That May that sounds right. June. It was early. I yeah. Think. So we minted out for the people who don't recall or no it was right april in. 2021 yes uh end of end of april to may 1st morning of may 1st morning of may 1st and then yeah i would believe that we talked as soon as june i mean yeah. it i got i grabbed a couple apes and seeing what was going on in the interwebs i don't know for some reason something stood out i like the art it felt dynamic i loved <laughs> I love the gated access to the bathroom of the Yacht Club with a wall that you could graffiti because it reminded me, and I was pleased to hear this was a deliberate homage. I hope I'm not deep. spilling any tea, right? It's no, a deliberate no, homage yeah. to a Reddit April Fool stunt a few years earlier that was quite a success. And I don't know, I was just like, I got to get in touch. We had a great call. And I hope you remember, I remember, I could be wrong. But let's stick with the story. I remember saying, I wish there were a way for me to invest in this. But I have no fucking clue how I could possibly do that because it didn't even seem, I don't know, it just, it was, this was an art project. Y'all had touched a sort of nerve in the internet zeitgeist. People seemed to like it. And I just wasn't smart enough to connect dots and think about like sort of where this could go beyond. That's why I'm, which comes back to why I'm jealous of Guy. I, I will always give him credit for, for, cause that's it. I think, I think in, in my life now, as an entrepreneur, as a creator of products, and now as an investor of products, I just pride myself a lot of being early and right. And so this is how I, this is my scoreboard. And so I, I'm just grateful that I, I got the chance to obviously have 776 invest uh, in you all. Um, I just, I wish I had done it even sooner because it was something about it was obvious even from that moment. And even though y'all were not even thinking about anything remotely business oriented, there was still a part of me that was like, how do I get involved with this thing? How do I, like in hindsight, what I should have done is snagged a bunch of apes yeah. and said, okay, like how, and I, I think this is the licensing part and you can even see some of the stuff floating around back here, like how to start spinning up things from this or somehow get involved in a deeper, richer, faster way. Um, but anyway, everything works. Everything happens for a reason. It's been so awesome watching you all just blow the doors open for the whole space. And uh, it's great. 
No, it was, it was, it was a meaningful moment for us to meet you back then. I think, you know, I mean, really? Yeah. Cause you know, we were starting yeah, we to see stoked. ourselves. We, were, mean, yeah. like, we were fans of yours, right? Cause we had been I, Reddit. We had early Reddit guys. Yeah. And we, but it was more so than that. You were a very successful founder, you know, and, and we mm. were just starting to see ourselves as founders. Like when we first mm. met you, I don't think we saw ourselves. No, as you did not. Yet, well, right? that, and that was part but, of my quandary. That was, but that was a big huh. influence on us meeting you, right? It was huh. the, starting to think of this thing as bigger than just a uh, an NFT project. Well, I remember my takeaway. Actually, I should dig up my notes from that meeting. My takeaway was these dudes have stumbled on a really cool creative project in the community. Yeah, they're just dudes working on a cool creative project <laughs> with the community, and like I would never being. Being a founder is, there's a lot of perks. There's a lot of fun, very fulfilling things about it, but it's kind of terrible in a lot of ways. Still not as hard as plenty of other professions, but it is it is it is not a thing I would wish on someone who wasn't earnestly trying to do it. Yeah. Tell us a bit about, you know, where you started. I know you went to UVA, as did Greg, by the way. Wow. And Krem. And Krem. That's, That's where right. we met. We talked about yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Wow. I know you started uh, Reddit with yeah. roommates, right? Yeah, I actually was going to be a lawyer. I was a history major, practicing for the LSAT, spending a lot of time in Alderman, a lot of time in Alderman. And I woke up on a Saturday to go take the LSAT, lasted 30 minutes, got up, walked out. Everyone's looking at me like, the fuck is this guy doing? And I went to the Waffle House on 29. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I went and got breakfast. And I just said, you know what? <laughs> if I just chose a waffle over the LSAT, I probably should not be a lawyer. <laughs> I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, I don't want to go through all this. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I've had a bunch of ideas throughout college. Like, let me just go build. And I was a good enough programmer in high school and, and in college, but my roommate was a very good programmer. He also had a job up. He already had a job lined up. And so I started the process of convincing him to join me and turn down this job opportunity. And I was like, look, man, I, I can't do this alone thankfully I wore him down. His mom was very pissed at me for like the first year uh, of Reddit, but obviously things, things worked out. And we, we, I mean, we set out, uh, entered the first batch of Y Combinator back in 2005, right when we were graduating, um, applied with a very different idea from Reddit and got rejected for that idea. It was called my mobile menu or mm, for short. Wow. We were going to let, I was very proud of that name. Yeah. We were going to let uh, so I'd worked at a pizza throughout high school and back in the kitchen, uh, as a cook, you'd get orders in, I'd get orders in on a printer and I was sitting here like, okay, everyone's got cell phones. Now there's no smartphone. And it was like 2003, 2004. So you could text in the order and then a printer would print it out and then boom, you don't have to wait in line. My mobile menu. It was going to be great. I went to every shop on the corner and, and convinced them or so I thought to like, do a deal with us. They were just being polite and they were like, yeah, sure, kid, whenever you got your thing, I'll wear it. But I, this whole time I'm like, I'm doing deals. I'm a CEO. <laughs> and it took going to YC, pitching them and then getting rejected by them to realize it was too early to do this business. And the next morning on a train back to Charlottesville, because we'd gone up to Boston to pitch Paul Graham and Jessica and everyone, um, Paul calls me back and he says, look, we still don't like your idea. I was like, dude, you called me just to say that you don't like the idea. Like it's kind of a dick move. And he's like, no, 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 no. But we like you. And so if you're willing to change your idea, we'll fund it. And, uh, and we sat, sat with Paul for like an hour and just, he just asked questions. What do you do every morning? What, what, what do you, where do you spend your time on the internet? And I, I lived in a brand new Firefox feature called tabs and lived in about 20 tabs every morning 
with a bunch of news sites. And I ran a PHP BB forum in college um, called, <laughs> called Eyes Wide. And, and the idea was, you know, we had a community of maybe five, 700 people all submitting links, talking about like politics, philosophy. It's a little cringe now. It's very like angsty college kid um, type stuff. But, you know, thanks to this open source software, it was easy to spin up a forum, build a community. I loved it. And as we're talking, Paul's like, that's it. He's like, the internet is not going to have one singular front page like the New York Times. The internet is going to have to have a front page of, of really multiple front pages that are curated by the readers, not by a few editors. And I'll never forget, Paul was like, that's it. Build the front page of the internet. And I'm sitting here like, uh, okay. Like, you're going to give us money to do that for a summer? And he's like, yes. And uh, and that's that was the start of it. And then, you know, shipped V1 within about a month. I spent a lot of time perfecting the logo, Snoo, drawing that and coming up with the name Reddit and sort of designing the first version. I was even <laughs> obsessing over the dimensions of the up and down arrows and and all this stuff that now is uh, just uh, kind of a waste of time. But it, it is really because of Waffle House <laughs> that all of this is here. And I sometimes think about how serendipitous all those random ass moments were to put me in that position, even, even running a web forum in college. And if I were to go back even further, the reason I got into programming was video games and GeoCities because I thought it was so dope. I could create something on the internet that anyone in the world could see from, you know, as a high school, as a dorky high school kid in the suburbs of Maryland. Before long, I was stepping up in roles in my like Quake 2 clan to do web design and eventually start my own clan. And, you know, EverQuest was the next place oh, yeah. where I really understood the power of leadership and, and then community in a pseudonymous video game environment where, again, I, I mean, I officiated a, I was a bard. Me too. Put all, yes. Half Elf Bard. Half Elf Bard. Oh, yeah. Ah. Wait, what? Well, I'm sorry. I don't know. Ah, there we go. We did it. <laughs> you, I, dude, that's, there were that's not. exactly what two ever that is what yeah. two that was, that was exactly high what five. Do. Yes. Supposed to look like that was very on brand. <laughs> dude. <laughs> okay. Wait, yeah. hold on. Because one of the fun things, no one liked being a bard and I was so proud of it because if you got good at juggling songs, you know, you could, and, it, and this is minor dexterity, but if you timed it well, you could get certain songs three, four at a time. Yep. And it was a very it's like twisting back then. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. And, and there were so few people, man, oh, I'm still mad. I never got a full set of, oh God, Mithril? No, no, it wasn't Mithril. The blue, Lambent. Lambent. I never got Lambent a full armor. set of the Lambent yeah, armor. I, I only I got a couple pieces. I actually never got, yeah, a full oh, set of Lambent either. It God. was, yeah, you, you can, EverQuest really like, that's honestly what opened up, <laughs> just makes NFTs you oh, know, make sense to you. Makes For it me, obvious. Like, at least it was like, I was chasing after pixels on a screen yes in a swamp dungeon yes lower by frogs. yes <laughs> like, yes deep know. cut so i think anyone who uh, played mmorpgs back in the day whether it was ultima everquest or was galaxies if you anything pre-world of warcraft really but even world mm, of warcraft even wow yeah you understand right. that digital scarcity model you understand oh, yeah. the value of digital goods intuitively because oh, you're yeah. like that it was so precious to you to get that armor right and it was and like so hard i i coveted it looks so it. dope it, yeah. This was like very you know, blue, very deep blue, dope armor, and it was stunning. like the original classic EverQuest, where there was like only like a couple hundred items. Period. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the stats on the armor too were like kind of not great. 
It was no. like the original, just like skin. They weren't it great. Like it just flash. looked yeah. so dope. Yeah. And and you had this that this was when I mean I would go to school. I'd be sad. I remember I never forget. I took the same. There was only one CS class in my high school. It was a Pascal class, and I took the same class almost every semester for like three years because the teacher was just like, ah, whatever. Like you just sit in the corner and do your own thing. And I would, I would actually code. But I also would sit there with my buddy right next to me and we would plan our days in EverQuest. So we'd be in class planning what we were going to do as soon as we got home in this game. And that was the first, like that was when it also clicked for me that like the, and we talk about the fucking metaverse now, right? Yeah. Here was a world where I cared just as much. I could argue more. Absolutely. About the time I was spending there than the time I was spending offline going through the process of school and, and life and everything. And it's it it really I, I, I genuinely did officiate a freaking wedding. Like, I mean, again, through text and I played music, even though you couldn't hear any of the music. And my buddy, who is the priest, officiated it, quote unquote, um, or cleric, I guess it was back then. Um, and, you know, going through that experience, I'm like, OK. This matters. We're we're animated characters using fake names. I don't know any of these people outside of their pseudonym, outside of their avatar, and yet I have like a fairly strong relationship with them. I probably know what's going on in their life better than most of the people I casually interact with at school or when I'm older now at the office, right? And so for a generation of people, there is an appreciation of the digital goods and the scarcity and the work that goes into it, as well as the power of community, even pseudonymous community online. And so I, I think if I hadn't had that experience as a Quake 2 clan leader or an EverQuest guild leader, I don't think Reddit happens. I mean, someone else does it because that was a lived experience I needed to make it obvious that people would care this much i can completely relate i mean I, yeah i, know we I both mean can. this is like this, so this uh, is we exactly talk about this are. all the time but you know we formed so many deep social connections to mmos and those were relationships that lasted the rest of our lives i know greg you you literally became very close friends with someone that you met yeah EverQuest, no right? it was very similar to your story alexis yes. where like i found everquest when i was 10 11 years old and was madly addicted to it yes. and wanted to talk about it with everyone, like with my mom all the time. And yes. she's like, I'm like, this is what a shadow knight does. And this is yes. very cool. Um, <laughs> like, but you know, I'm a bard though, so I don't have harm touch. That's right. Um, but I was playing with my best friend at school. Um, and we met some other kids mm -hmm. and they said they were like our age too. Mm -hmm. And my mom was so suspicious. She was like, how do you know these are like other mm. 10 or 11 year olds? And I was just like, I don't know. I think they are though. Cause yeah. I don't know that they would have the same sense of humor. Right. Um, <laughs> sure enough, they were, they lived States away. Um, and my best friend growing up is now married to the little sister of one of those people. What? Like the, Dude. you know, that I love it. Yeah. They have, and we played, all kinds of different video games throughout the years with those people. What I found interesting mm -hmm. though, is like, I played a lot of like league of legends, mm -hmm. you know, as a, as an adult, even or other things you don't, there's something about the kinds of games that people are playing now that I feel like don't lend themselves to the same depth of a social interaction yeah. as like 
early EverQuest or even early World of Warcraft or something like that. If you can play a video game, part of what I think the magic to EverQuest was the like mystery of it. Like you didn't know how things were supposed to necessarily work. It wasn't like a whole roadmap or a theme park MMO where like you right. everything was like cut out for you. But it was also like brutally hard. Yeah, and you had you lost that you, XP, and you, you needed <laughs> people to help you. Yes, and like if because if you could solo something, then it was like step off, dude. Like this is mine. Right. But if you're getting your ass kicked and someone came to help you or you were grouped up, whatever, like that forced collaboration yeah. was a really or deep incentivized part. Cl- collaboration. Gosh. Like I remember that feeling right. of like you're trying to complete a quest in World of Warcraft, like early on, you know, when it was still just like one to uh, zero to sixty, mm-hmm. and you would like just find people who are trying to complete the same quest and be like, dude, I can't take this guy down. Help me. And it's like combine our experience together and, and take it down. Yeah. We'll both win less if we do it together, but we'll actually get it done. Yeah. And that, those are the connections that you would in, like naturally form and you'd be like, Oh, cool. You'd see that guy later on or that girl later on. Mm-hmm. And then you'd form a guild, you know, and then, mm-hmm. then you go after the biggest baddies you can. Yeah. And I, then like the items were then imbued with so much meaning, like the, the best gift I got as a kid, I was like 11, 12 years old. I remember I was at the card shop over in like West Kendall that I used to play magic at. It was called Lizards on Ice. And it was my birthday. And my friend gave me a folded piece of paper. And inside it was just that like he was giving me an item that he got in EverQuest that he like didn't tell me that he like managed to get or anything like that. But he was like, this is the gift. And I remember my mom being like, you gave him like a $30 gift card and he gave you like, what? Like, and I was like, no, this is like infinitely better. Like this is a Wakazashi of the frozen skies. Like this is dope. Yes. Um, that's really cool. It was very funny. And then you think about that now and the idea of like for in, in world of Warcraft and of like many of these games, like items are sold down the second you get them. Like, you know, there's all these prohibitions around trading items or whatever, because they feel like, things are going to get exploited or, or like it ruins like the difficulty settings and all that. Well, but it was closer to like a, uh, like an NFT in the sense that like you could trade the thing you could, mm-hmm. you know, a level 60 could wield the same item that a level one could. And like, it was just like, well, cool. as, as, as fun as world of Warcraft was, especially in the early days, it kind of was the end of that era of MMO that we're all talking about loving and growing up with. It, it became a theme park a little bit, I think is what they call it, right? That it like, yeah. rather than having this open world experience where it's just like endless possibility, it was like, no, 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 you just kind of follow this track to get to the right level. And then it's like, okay, and then there's this like raid progression of going to harder and harder bosses. And yes, you're gonna need to team up with people. And yes, the whole object is just to get these items. And it, and it started to like kill the magic a little bit. Every now and then, I, I love TikTok. I'm like obsessed with TikTok. Mm-hmm. It's like how I go to bed every night. I'm just like, soothe me with your algorithm. Thank you, China. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> but uh, there's like the saddest video is like the final moments of an MMORPG, you know, and you're like, whatever it is. And Before it's like, the you know, everyone, shut down the server everything. shutting right. down, it's all gone. You're never going to have those items again. You're never going to have those characters again. And yeah, you know, that, that to some extent, that's inevitable with the rise and fall of, you know, uh, gaming companies and attention and new games getting better and better, whatever. But I would love to still have my old Jedi and star Wars galaxies, for instance, mm. right? Like I would love to still have that as an NFT and yeah. I would love to like, and then I would love for a group of players to get together and be like, cool, let's create a new world for these things. God. And I wonder, I wonder if my EQ characters are still there. They, I, they might be, but it's no longer the same world and it's been like adapted and changed so much, but it yeah. would be so cool to be like, cool. I know, 
all the people out there who own like a fungi tunic or a flowing black silk sash or whatever <laughs> it is, like one of these like iconic items in EverQuest. And I'm like, I'm going to airdrop them something for like my game and like target these users again or something like that. Like, so it opens up a lot of like possibilities. We've, we've started to dream oh, about yes. like this idea of having certain standards across the metaverse. And, and you know, part of that I think is going to be built in Unreal, but other things is just, you know, certain chains, whatever. And I think it's, you know, what we're building on other side, our hope is that it becomes one of many platforms for mm-hmm. a certain st- type of standard where it's like, cool, you're building something, you're building a game on other side, Roblox style. It's like, and let's say it doesn't start to do well in the future. Like, cool. It gets vampire attacked, right? Like, and right. it becomes this thing somewhere else. That vision of interoperability for the future of gaming, I think is very fucking cool. It really has that feeling of ready player one that I think is kind of become a meme to some extent, but it's like at the same time, no, we're fucking doing it. Like we're building yeah. it. Yeah, Someone is going to have to do it. It is such a good, I'm as a product designer, I always come back to user experience is the most important thing. So s- everyone can feel that something needs to exist, some clear like standard. So everyone talks about, oh, what's going to be the the heart of that interoperability? Because you're right. You shouldn't have to lose the time spent, the memories, the the connections, like there's a, there's a ton of things wrapped into the video game experience, I think we'd all agree. And being able to transfer that, I mean, not only is it a boon for the user, like the gamer, it's a huge advantage for the next game developer to say, look, like there's, let's, we're ready set. Like if, if we make something good enough that merits people moving their attention and their assets over, we get to win. Like you build that new standard and I think you're well on the way. You're creating something that's going to move the entire industry forward in a big way and make gamers have a better experience. Game developers have better have a better experience. And someone's got to fucking do it. And I feel like, I don't know, the, the whole even metaverse discussion hurts my heart a little bit <laughs> because whether we were playing EverQuest or we were playing, I mean, or even, you know, doom scrolling TikTok, those are in a sense their own meta verses. They're things that are, they're, they capture our attention and that we care about as much or more than the physical world. That's basically what a metaverse is to me. And that's where the bar is. Like part like Zuck is is catching heat almost every other week now for meta's advancements there. And I, you know, I I don't think it's gonna be particularly successful. But at the heart of it, I think it's because they they don't fundamentally understand that they're competing against every other distraction that could exist. They're competing with Fortnite just as much as they're competing with themselves on Instagram. And like, you have to earn someone's attention to get them to care that much. I think the, the, the struggle here is going to be fighting against platforms that are very reward passivity. Like TikTok, mm. I'm not a part of any community on TikTok mm. and I'm not a creator on TikTok. I'm just, you know, yeah, doom scrolling is a great way to put it, but sometimes mm. it's happy scrolling, sometimes whatever it is. Scrolling. That's fair. You know, and it's like <laughs> that like passive black hole that you can mm. fall into mm. on social media in particular that just like is constantly rewarding your little dopamine drive, mm. that little hamster wheel, just constant. Our vision of the metaverse is not passive, right? Like, and I don't, mm. I don't think allowing for that level mm. of passivity is very good for humanity, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think it's like, I want people to, again, go back to the like, cool, you're dropped into this world. Mm-hmm. How do we incentivize or kind of in some ways force cooperation so that like you have mm-hmm. to interact? Because I think that's going to be very important for the internet moving forward, especially as we live our lives more digital. Online. You know, it's like yeah. the more chronically online we become as a society, the more it's very important that it's like that passive nature to it kind of 
falls by the wayside. I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is they think of online engagement, community, et cetera, as different from offline. All the same dynamics. The way we read a room when we walk into a bar, if I invited you all over to my house tonight and I was like, hey, come on over. Um, and if you opened the door and saw me doing a keg stand and, uh, and a bunch of people playing beer pong, yeah. you would know how to behave. You might even walk out and just be like, you yeah, know, this is not for me. Right. You know? But if you open that door and you saw me pouring some wine, serving some wine and cheese, everyone dressed really nice, talking about the most important you know, philosophical matters of the day, again, you would be able to say, okay, I know how to be in this environment. Online is the exact fucking same. It's the, we, we take the, the same dynamics. We have the same social cues and this sort of thing. And what I love is I, I think you're right. And what's wild now is if we can engineer experiences. So like, let's say you are part of that guild experience, right? Some days, just like within your group of friends, you know, you might have people in that group of friends who are more or any community or any club, any guild who are more predisposed to be leading, right? They're the ones who just love organizing stuff. They're the ones who love yeah, everyone. Come on, let's go get the car. Let's go. I got us a reservation, blah, blah, blah. But just like there are ebbs and flows for us as humans, that creating more on-ramps and more opportunities for people who normally might just want to sit back, yeah. but now have a pathway to be like, no, you know what? I'm grabbing that karaoke mic and I'm going ham. And I do think if you nail it, you create an experience that gives everyone the path to that feeling of self-actualization and, hey, I've got community, but I don't have to be the guild leader every day. I don't have to be the one spending six hours building this new experience. I can just consume it. Or maybe I do want to do that. I agree. We we previously have talked about like forced cooperation, but really what I want to talk about, what really what I want it to be is incentivized cooperation because I'm the kind of player who just wants to go off and like learn like how to fish in the game. Sure. I don't, I don't want to be right. a part of it. I just want to be a lone wolf going off on my own little imaginary adventure. Yeah. But there, there always is a point in any game that I'm playing online where it's like, okay, I've gone off on my little solo adventure. I now, if I'm going to keep existing in this world, I actually want to be a part of something with mm-hmm. other people. And I'm, I'm a socially awkward person in real life. I have trouble, you know, making new friends at a bar or whatever. You all are not social. We had a wonderful thing last night. I saw you all. We, I'm well, glad I, I got introduced you to the doodles. That was fun. That was yeah, fun. Yeah, meeting the but, doodles guys. Yeah. But no, you're, not, so you're, you're not socially awkward. Well, I, I, I don't know. Someone recently asked us on the, like the GM podcast. They were like, oh, do you still feel like outsiders? And I said, yeah. And you were like, no. And I was like, I don't know how. I still feel very much like an outsider when I go to one of these events or meet other founders because we just didn't come from this world. We're just, like we're the equivalent of like a garage rock band who still like is still in the garage. It's just a bigger garage. I don't know. Um, anyway, I wanted to talk to you about 776 actually. Because, sure. you know, we've talked about your, your, your Reddit story and it's incredible mm-hmm. And uh, I can very much relate to the Waffle House moment. We had a very similar moment, although ours occurred uh, at an Airbnb in Tennessee at four in the morning where I was um, yelling and screaming at uh, at Greg at midnight. And then like, uh, I was like, I'm going to write you an essay. And then like that, that night I I wrote him a giant essay that included BAYC and we were kind of off to the races from there. But um, how did you get into investing? Like, like what was the transition? Like, I mean, because you're kind of one of the more famous like founder to investor Yes. Guys in the space. Or, yeah, or for better or for worse. Yeah. I, uh, the universe just pushed me in that direction. I, the, the best part, and you'll see this, the best part of being a builder and a founder is the people who can actually empathize you, empathize with you, and it's a limited group, are other builders and founders. And what you find is 
these relationships are very satisfying just because they're, you know, I mean, my, my closest friends to be clear are still the guys I grew up with uh, who none of whom are <laughs> founders, but it's, there's a different kind of emotional uh, camaraderie created with, with other founders. Cause they're also just doing weird, ambitious, crazy stuff that, you know, thankfully most people don't have to relate to, but the other benefit is you start developing this network of other people just doing dope shit, building dope stuff. And I was lucky to find enough success, you know, a year and a half in when I decided to sell Reddit ultimately, because it was uh, allegedly a $10 million sale. So that's the, those are the reports. Um, and it was life-changing money for 16 months worth of work. And I was like, I got to do this. I just didn't know any better. I should have raised money. At the time, I'd only raised $72,000 total. Amazing. 2005, different time. And we had more. I had an offer for a million. And I told the guy, I was like, sir, that's too much money. Like, I don't know what (laughs) I would do with it. There's only like two of us here. Like You you were still, when you sold the company, you were- We were up to three. Oh my God. Incredible. And, and thanks to that, having that liquidity, I could start doing angel investing and I started doing it enough times. And then YC, Y Combinator had asked me to become a partner. So I was investing through YC and I'd also put in money personally in some of the companies. And, and then a guy in like 2012 comes up to me and he says, Hey, you've got a pretty good reputation with founders. This was at YC's demo day. Um, You should invest other people's money. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, you should start a venture fund. And I was like, huh? And he was like, no, really, I'll give you the first like million dollars. And so I was like, okay, now I'm investing my money and other people's money. So I get to invest more money. And and this time I'm not going to turn down the guy who wants to give me a million dollars. So started building there and uh, geez, built that firm for about eight, nine years. And then back in 2020, amidst COVID and everything else, you know, in a pretty hectic couple of months, I decided I needed to resign from the board of Reddit. And I needed to split my venture firm to start 776 and uh, have been building ever since. And it's just been, it's been a blast. So this how, is what I'll be how doing long forever. Was that? This was almost exactly two years ago. So my, the firm was started on my daughter's birthday. So I'll never forget September 1st. So it's just over two years old now. And we've had a good start. Well, this was a little bit before we started Eagle Labs then. I mean, this was maybe six months before something there like you that. Go. Yeah, we so, were fresh. So maybe you were still apprehensive about what to invest in when you were talking to us. Maybe it was. No, no I just you thought didn't, I, I totally I I did not think you all were building a business. <laughs> Neither did we. And the magic that you all had found amidst even then, like a, a lot of noise was something that was earnest, that was genuine, that was authentic, that people resonated with. And that was the heat that I noticed. And I wasn't, look, if y'all had, if, if in that meeting y'all had said, okay, and we have a plan for how to turn this into a multi-billion dollar business, we've got <laughs> a vision, like this is how we're gonna execute against it. I think I would have ironically gotten, I would have leaned back mm-hmm. and I would have been less excited and so the, I, guess, I think the irony is what made it successful is you all were just some creatives mucking about, just trying to do dope shit. And, you know, thanks to the community, thanks to that momentum, thanks to the smart product decisions, like it just kept building on itself. But uh, I don't know, like I said, it all, it all happens. It all happens for for some kind of reason. And I don't know, it's just been wild and, and really amazing to watch. And we're really happy to have you as an yeah. investor. I mean, you've been a, a strong asset and just giving us advice and you've do always more. made yourself available to us. We're very yes. grateful for that. No, I want to do more. And I yeah. feel, I also feel like now we have this, this roster um, between, and it's funny, each one of y'all has a different Creative Commons license. 
uh, between Yuga, Doodles, and Proof. I mean, Kevin Kevin Rose used to be my arch nemesis CEO. Dig <laughs> was our biggest competitor. I, I hated his yeah. guts. I hated him. I'd never I had met him once at a party. I never talked to him. I hated him. And then we finally buried ha 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 Dig. And I didn't hate him as much because we won, but I had never talked to the guy. <laughs> Amazing. And I and I told him actually I told him this I told him this in the proof I guess I was like dude I almost when Dig fire sold um, for like a few hundred thousand dollars I nearly bought Dig.com just so I could redirect it to Reddit. I'm wow, that that's I'm that petty. petty. I love I, it, dude. I, I am. It. I've heard that you um but I did you, you're a bit. I'm you relish in the uh, fucking eat it up. Keep a I list, love it. A list of all the slights that have. Oh, been I have made. screenshots of every yes, every uh, mean tweet. Every like whether it's on you know when I was starting this football club in L.A. Angel City FC. Every time someone would tell me that I was going to lose all my money, no one cared about women's sports. I would screenshot those tweets, and so now when we set records for attendance and season tickets, I post the screenshot next to the sold out stadium, and then tag each of the people yeah. on Twitter. Um, I did this back at Reddit when an exec at Yahoo said that our traffic was so small. It was a rounding error compared to Yahoo's. This guy, he got, he invited us to Yahoo. I won't say his name, but he was an executive there. And I thought it was like an MMA type M and a type discussion, Mm. but he basically ends the meeting 10 minutes in and he just is like, wait, how much traffic do you have? And, and I'm like, I don't know, like 10,000, whatever active daily actives. And he was like, you're a rounding error compared to Yahoo. Like, what are you even doing here? I'm like, I don't know. Like you You invited me. Like, (laughs) is that what Yahoo does? And this is Yahoo circa 2005. They had just gone purple. It was a big deal, big rebrand. And I think he was probably feeling a little cocky. And so when I got back to Boston, I printed out on the wall next to my desk, the words, you are a rounding error. So I could look at it every fucking morning and I could remember this guy. And, you know, we had people writing these blog posts. And again, I'm just weird. I'm very weird. This is not healthy. But um, there would be these initial blog posts uh, hating on the initial batch of YC founders and saying like Reddit is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. It's like a bad slash dot. This is never going to work. Every one of those went on the wall. Every one of them. And, and you know, four years ago, Five years ago, Reddit surpassed Yahoo in traffic. And you better fucking believe I <laughs> found an old photo of that sign uh, on my wall of that reminder. And it, it felt really, really good. Um, but it, I, I just, I don't know. Like I said, I'm a little broken in that way. No, I, we, we can completely I, I, relate. I, I can only imagine. It's I give up. this counsel to founders all the time. Who and look, everyone's got to find their own. I'm not saying this way that works for me should work for anyone else. But being a founder is such a unique position. You're creating something, which is always a vulnerable thing, especially if it, I mean, y'all are actually more in the world of art than most of the stuff that that I'm talking about. But you're creating something, art or not, you're still in the act of creation. It's a sacred thing. You're putting it out into the world, and you know there's invariably going to be haters. And I, I tell founders, look. You're actually better off having haters in, in, in certainly if you like using it for ammunition and motivation, that's great. But even if you don't better to be doing something that has somehow made people so irrationally mad at you than to build something that no one cares about. And the only reason you have people who hate or talk shit about what you're doing is because there are people usually far more who, for whom you're making something that they really care about, that they really love. Because otherwise, there's no point of using that energy. And I, 
like I said, I think everyone deals with it differently, but at the end of the day, I have so much respect for anyone who is in the arena creating. And, and even if, even if I don't necessarily love the things they're creating, I, I still have to have some level of respect for the fact that they are in the arena building uh, amidst all of that. And I just wish we had more people doing it at the end of the day, uh, because that's how we get better stuff in society. But moving on, I, I, I want to talk to you about something. And uh, you kind of famously mm-hmm. gave your wife the goat. Mm-hmm. Yes. One of the greatest tennis players of all time. If one of. The greatest. Sir. Sorry. <laughs> one of. The greatest tennis the player greatest. of all time. Uh, <laughs> an NFT romantically. Yeah. And I, I've been thinking few. about this ever since because I wanted to know how, how one does that. Okay. This is one. Uh, I don't think I've nailed it necessarily. I've gifted my wife art before, like physical oh. art. Um, and, and she's always enjoyed it. And, you know, maybe two years ago, three years ago, I forget. Uh, crypto punks started getting a little energy and I started seeing it pop it up on my Twitters. And I was like, like any, uh, selfish person. I was like, let me go see if there's a crypto punk that looks like me. And I didn't actually find one. And so I thought, okay, cool. Like there's actually a couple that look like my wife and one in particular with the headbands, the hair. I mean, it's, it, I'm a little biased, but I feel like it's an impeccable, uh, sort of Serena punk. So I bought one and then I bought like six more. And, and I was planning on presenting them to Serena. Uh, and this is the one that I ultimately ended up wearing at the Met Gala. Uh, I guess it was later that year. And I had an amazing moment. Rest in peace, Virgil. But Virgil was, was sitting uh, at our table and he, he took a photo and he, he had said that this was the most punk thing he had ever seen at the Met Gala, which basically made my life. And I still, I will plan on bragging about that until the day I die. Um, and, but when I presented it to Serena, was actually when, so we had Chris, uh, Chris Lines, who's also an investor in Yuga. Uh, Chris Lines was over at our house and, uh, and he was, he was talking up NFTs and all this stuff. And we're having this great conversation. And, and Serena was kind of like, oh yeah, interesting. Like, I feel like I heard Alexis talking about this stuff. Um, and Chris was like, no, 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 really. Like, this is exciting. There's a lot of cool stuff happening. There's things called crypto punks. You got to get one at this point, like as a husband, I'm like, I am not letting Chris lines be the one that <laughs> like gets Serena into this space, especially because a few months ago, I've already bought her a punk that I hadn't, I was, you know, maybe for, I don't know, you need the right time to make a gift like this is around, I don't know, an anniversary gift, some kind of thing. But I was like, fuck it. I'm doing this right now. So I take out my phone, open up rainbow and I'm like, Excuse me. As a matter of fact, babe, I got you a, a punk that looks just like you. And <laughs> that's amazing. Chris was impressed because I think uh, I don't mean I couldn't have timed it. It was impeccable timing. Uh, it was a great flex. I didn't expect to be, you know, giving my wife this gift in front of our buddy, but it worked out. And and Serena was like, "Wow, okay, thank you. Uh, how how does this work?" And and so you know, I did my best uh, explanation. And she was like, all right, cool. This makes sense. And I, I will give her credit. She's always been, I mean, she's been into it with a lot of stuff and art in particular. And once, (laughs) once you can grok this notion of digital goods mattering. And again, if you, my, my wife did not grow up playing MMORPGs, uh, but as, as someone who consumes technology and understands technology and then understands the art world, it's not a huge leap to just understand this is a different medium 
And yes, there are a million, you can make a million copies of this JPEG, but there's a, there's a reason why this is a one of one. And there is a, a big book that we've all agreed is the, the, the ledger that says, no, 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 this is the original one. Um, and, and so she, I'd like to say I to help, I helped get her down the rabbit hole and it wasn't, wasn't quite that long thereafter that I was like, gosh, I got to get her, I got to get her an ape too. And so this one was less romantic. Cause I just sat with her with the laptop and was like, let's pick out an ape together. And, uh, and so she's a big fan of the color pink. We found a nice clean pink one and you know, the rest is history. And I was a little pissed cause there was some propaganda out there saying that someone else had bought her that ape. And I was pissed about this again, as a husband, I'm like, no, I gifted that. That was, that was my choice. You may not agree with that as a gift, but do not give someone else credit for that. That was me too. I think what you've hit on though, is actually such a perfect example of why the user experience for all of this is going to be so important over the next few years right? We still don't have very many good ways to have this be a part of our lives, whether it's in the, the analog world or especially in the digital world. As there are more places where we'll spend our time in the digital world, where NFTs will occupy, like the other side. Um, Kevin's obviously working on some interesting stuff with proof. That's going to become more and more obvious. And then even on the physical side, look, I've seen a dozen pitches for the NFT frame right? Mm -hmm. There's a dozen floating out there. Unfortunately, the hardware part is kind of a commodity. The screen part is only going to get, you know, better and cheaper. Um, but you know, I even put up a couple of Samsung frame TVs in my office that I use and I, I, I'm just copying a JPEG and, you know, display it on my wall. And it's like, it's, it's still way too much work. It's still not seamless, but it, it, that is inevitable it is inevitable that these are going to be able to be experienced even in the most basic form as like a pretty picture you can look at digitally and offline. It, it, it's going to get a, a thousand times better over the next decade. So it, it will then also be easier to gift. So for now it's a little, look, it's a little janky to gift one, uh, but yeah. look, it's an opportunity for someone to build it better. So no, I think, I think you might be one of the first people to have, you know, done this as a, on really? such a big level, right? A really? Crypto punk is a huge romantic gesture. I think. I mean, okay. I, I think we're making like, history. You're like, this is like proto NFT romance, right? Here. I, well, okay. No joke. All of it. If you look at the, so the, the three blue chips we backed, every one of them started with some like, I guess, quasi sentimental story. The reason I got into doodles early was because I found one that looked just like my daughter. And so I bought a half dozen <laughs> wow. of them and I was like, these are charming. They're aesthetically different. Reminds me of my daughter. Boom. You know, she has no clue what they are. Uh, That's I, I've not, I cannot explain NFTs to her, but working on it. Uh, we've got maybe a baseline understanding, but it's, um, I, I think there's just some, huh, there, there is some part of this that we've now laid the groundwork for, and you all have done amazing work in this, to get anyone who is even a little curious dip their toe in over the last surge. And now that we're in winter, this is my favorite time having been, you know, I seed invested Coinbase 10 years ago. So I've been in crypto for a decade. Wow. I am always most excited during these winters because it is the time when most of the hype is gone. The people who are here are building. The only thing they can do when they wake up in the morning, they, they're not going, oh my God, it's up and to the right. They wake up in the morning thinking, how do I solve problems for people? That's yeah. it. And, and it's this clarity of mind and sobriety of thought that means the biggest companies get built over the next couple of years. I'm looking to invest in them and support them. And, 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 and I think this next wave is the one of much larger adoption um, 
because it really has to have utility. It really has to have a good user experience. It really has to be not even about the underlying technology. No one runs around saying like, oh, hypertext transfer protocols. I have feelings like TCP IP there. I have strong thoughts on the matter. Like NFTs in this next wave should disappear. The, the, the naming, the, the notion of it should, should fade into an experience where yeah. you don't give a just fuck. Is, just plug and play. Kind even of even yes. like what blockchain they're on, all of that yes, stuff. I should think matter. Gonna become, the next exactly. wave of users should not care, should not have to think about it. And it will, it will matter so much the user experience and y'all have a Herculean task ahead of you, but that's the, I mean, what is it? No pressure, no diamonds. Um, the, you know, Building this on-ramp in the world and the potential that you have is is huge. And it's going to open up, I think, a big part of this next wave. Yeah, it's something we think about a lot. And, you know, we've been saying more and more that, you know, we firmly believe that the next major wave will be, you know, related to gaming. Um, yes. And I think the other one that doesn't get talked about nearly as much lately is uh, luxury brands entering the space mm. and the digital physical. You know, I think uh, the way Tiffany's came into the space through CryptoPunks, right. the way Strong Adidas move. came into the space through a bunch of different projects. Nike and Artifact. Ours, Nike and Artifact. Yeah. I think uh, we're going to see mm. though that when we started meeting people who are interested in the space, the people who understood it intuitively mm. were the luxury brands, like mm. the old school ones, you know, like yeah. the LVMHs of the world. It's their whole right. business is around yeah. authenticity and scarcity. They totally, like the Karen Group here. and all that. Yes. They understood immediately what this was about and they saw the potential way before mm. anyone else. I think the, the two people, the two types of industries that understood it early on were the music industry because mm. for a different reason, because they were very fucking fed up and they understood the royalty model. Mm. And they're like, this presents an opportunity that hasn't been found yet, in my mm. opinion. And, no, and, and, I, and I love talking to people about music NFTs because I'm like, have you solved it? Have you? And like, I, know. I don't think anyone, I don't even think anyone truly has cracked that code yet. They're directionally, it it's, it feels intellectually right it then it just i'm a broken record on this it's got to come back to the why for the user that feels yep. 10x better like yes it's a nice flex to have a royalty stream but the ceiling of people who are going to care about that in its current form is limited Agreed. right because is it there's i mean there's some speculative upside but really it's just a flex but how do you create the environment where that flex matters how do you show that how do you have that social status right uh, in a way that people are going to resonate with and care. I think the the music side is still to your point, so much room for innovation yeah. in the immediate term though, gaming and fashion and, and, and luxury. I could not agree more because yeah. you have, and you see this right. Even in this winter, look at the assets. And I, I mean, I told, I told my investors a year and a half, two years ago, even when things were still just really ramping up 99.9999999% of these NFT projects you see will go to zero. But if you look at the enduring value, none of this is investment advice, but if you look at where the enduring value has held up, it's with the projects that people have in outsized belief in their artistic value in their Like it's the, it's the luxury type. It's the, it's the, it, it, it patterns, it pattern matches with the same reason why a Chanel bag has still held up in value over yeah. all these years, because people believe it's the, the same reason why, you know, look at trading cards to collectibles, even amidst like threats of Armageddon, a Mickey Mantle card just sold for 12 and a half million dollars, right? right? Just broke another record. And it wasn't even the perfect 10, wasn't even a 10 a gem mint grade. It's because it is at a place where it transcends the other 99.9% as a piece of art and history and a collectible and all the other things that for, you know, folks who have the means they're going to, for the bet is they're going to forever want. 
because it's achieved this kind of high-end status. And whether it's a Chanel bag, whether it's certain NFT projects, none of these are endorsements or investment advice, but like you can see that reflect in the market. And I'm just waiting for some of the more ambitious projects that I, and I'm sure you all know about that are happening in these spaces to start popping up. Because I think there's still a lot of cynicism, which is great. I think there's still a lot of hesitation and and nervousness, which I think is great because it forces anyone who's going to come out with something to really show up. Yeah. Also, is that a Kurvonica tattoo? It is. It is. So it goes. Tattoo. So it I get, goes. Everyone always thinks it's someone else. But no, someone that's Kurt. Because it's a very I, bad tattoo. I did my <laughs> I did my history. So I was a distinguished major at UVA. I did my history paper, my thesis, undergrad thesis, on the bombing of Dresden and Slaughterhouse Five was one of my um like. I mean, it's weird because he was Histor- a POW. His story, his story is incredible. During the bombing, he's, he was a soldier in the U.S. Like Army, and he was a POW in Dresden during the bombing. And so even though Slaughterhouse-Five is obviously science fiction, it's rooted in some of his own lived experience as a POW. I mean, he was like this beautiful secular humanist who yes. chain-smoked Pall Malls. Yeah, he said did. it was the classiest way to kill yourself, you know? <laughs> I mean, it was like, he was so funny, so endearing, uh, so lovable. He was, he was special. Yeah. Uh, and his advice was to the, or well, quote from a book, the advice to the babies about, God damn it. You just, you've got to be kind. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's these simple, simple truths, uh, that I wish I feel like now too, maybe more than ever, we're, we're poorer not having him reminding us of them. hundred percent. I remember I moved to Brooklyn when he was still alive mm-hmm. and I was writing him a letter. I, he meant no so way. much to me. I mean, I got his tattoo, right? Yeah. And his face on my arm. Yeah. You know I mean? but, and, I, and he died right before I could send it to him. And I was just like, you know, I would, I would sometimes like walk past his place. I, I, met, <laughs> I was obsessed with him. I met his daughter. Um, and I tried not, this was years ago. This is not long after his past, but, and I tried not to geek out too much, but it was definitely one of probably a handful of times where I was like a little too excited to meet a person I didn't know. Yeah. There's a lot of art lit nerds here. Uh, there is something, I don't know. It, it's when the relationship is limited to largely like the work or the artistry in a way that like a book is, or these other media are, it created a different kind of relationship because you just, you didn't know everything. Like what would, what would, what would your or mine or our experience with Vonnegut have been if he did a daily vlog? Like there are probably, there are probably parts of it that we would have loved, right? Parts of it that we, we, we would know him in a deeper way in a more small way, but maybe it's, maybe it is a richer relationship because it didn't have all of that data. We talked about that too. I totally agree. We talked like the, the pseudo anonymity that we had as founders of this company. That was mm. kind of the thing that I liked about it was that like mm. we were a little bit mysterious to people. Mm. Now that we're on a podcast, it could just gonna, be about the people are gonna be like, "Oh, look at these fucking idiots!" A, yeah, you know? or, it right. a, it's <laughs> like, "God, look how low the bar is that these motherfuckers." <laughs> these guys can do it. Yeah, these guys. Yeah, right, that's right. right. But yeah, and I miss that. I miss mm. that. Like there was a mystique around us, and you know, and for better or for worse, it is what it is. But um, but yeah, I, I think mm. that's a, you're absolutely right. That like maybe if he had had a vlog, I wouldn't be such a super fan. Right. He, he also had the idea of like getting up in the morning, writing a poem and throwing it away. Like I love this that. very beautiful Fuck. idea of doing work for the sake of doing work, not for the sake of publicizing it or like, you know what I mean? Like that's also so contrary to like how a lot of our society is today. Oh, yeah. So like to your point earlier, like <gasps> we need somebody like that. I totally feel I that. Mean, like, you, you can't imagine Kurt uh, feeding the algorithm every morning right. <laughs> to yeah. make yeah. sure so he gets that post up to, to exactly. ride the latest meme yeah. wave. Although I could imagine some essay that's a scathing 
you know, oh, critique sure. on the algorithm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, actually, another Kurt Vonnegutism mm. is like this idea of Grand Falloon or whatever from Cat's Cradle. Right. This yes. notion of communities that have some superficial thing binding them together. Yeah. Like that's actually something that I don't know why that stuck with me so much when I first read Cat's Cradle like years and years and years ago. But like, obviously, it's something if that concept has come up a lot as we've been doing stuff with BAYC. Mm. Like, I'm sure there's like, you know, Reddit isn't. Uh, perfect endless, example of like this community versions. where there's kind of cascading communities almost mm-hmm. right there's like subreddits that are hyper specialized and presumably like the smaller more focused subreddits were the places that or maybe still are like the most kind of intensive community spaces mm-hmm. but there's still somehow this emergent broader culture there is still mm-hmm. the narwhal bacons at midnight wow. somehow deep cut right yeah. so yeah i was like real into reddit yeah. how does that like emergent culture come out of like all these tiny tiny cultures like i for better or for worse it was an extension of our earliest community and community manager <laughs> me like i remember creating r slash gaming and and this is this is where it was the most sort of obvious to me um and as the first mod of r slash gaming, because uh, we hadn't let people create their own subreddits yet, um, I made sure I posted a lot of the original content. I'd occasionally post content under a, another like pseudonym that wasn't mine. Um, we stopped doing that after. I, I love that you did months, that, by but the way. we did do yeah, that. like artificially. <laughs> yeah, because like, we didn't have, no, we didn't have any hilarious. other way to get people to the site. It totally makes sense. I got all the people from Eyes Wide to come, but it was like a few hundred. So we, we needed more help. And all the original posts, all those first posts, the culture of r slash gaming was, I was, what, in my mid-20s. And it was nostalgia for gaming when I was a kid. And so for years, the gaming community built out of that. Long after we had other mods and I wasn't doing anything on it, it was still, if you go to r slash gaming today, it's still very much rooted in like our age gaming culture. So much so that like a new community emerged, I think back in the day it was r slash games. That was in response because they were mad the gaming community didn't talk about new titles. And it was wild to see that because I was not intentionally saying time to create a culture of nostalgia around the gaming community. It was just like when I think of gaming, this is what I think about. And and the echo, the ripple of that insignificant seeming decision lived on even to this day, six, 17 years later, which is insane to me. So all this is to say it was a ripple effect of some early unintentional decisions. And because 2005, I still had to convince people the, the regular conversation I'd have with people. And they were like, what do you do? And it's like, I started this website. It's called Reddit. What does it do? Oh, it's a place where people from all over the internet can submit links. They think are interesting or start conversations. Uh, And then if people like it, they vote it up. If people don't, they vote it down. And most of the people I told that to said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, <laughs> why would anyone care what a stranger thinks is interesting or important? Because it's 2005, right? It was still, this is, poor, this is four years before Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. Facebook was still in colleges. And because of that, we couldn't grow. If you were launching Reddit today, the challenge would be, how do you get anyone to even spend any time or pay any attention to what you've built? Because we launched it then, we got to educate people and bring, I mean, forums, which obviously had been around for a very long time, bring a sort of modern take to forums to a much larger community and incrementally start to grow. Because each community over time started to develop its own like silo, 
the overarching, like what is a Redditor, like that, that if I could have done it all over again, I would have intentionally really said, look, this is, this, this platform can be a place for you to find your home for all the different things that make up who you are and you're, you know, purple turtle 16 and, and you can occupy a space where you can talk about how much you love the Yankees and just as quickly switch over to talk about how much you love corgis and just as quickly talk about how much you love stapling bread to trees. And those are three very different communities that you as a person offline probably would have a lot of trouble. Like you'd it'd, imagine the world's largest convention center trying right. to run through each of these and, and make those all work. Yeah. We found a way with software to create that connective tissue to make it easy to flow through it. I often think about this too in like biological terms, like as a species for hundreds of thousands of years, humans didn't get exposure to too many different people, right? Yep. It was our immediate family. It was maybe some friendlies and a larger community we had organized, but we weren't traveling very far out of that safety net. And we knew everyone pretty darn well. And it was for our own survival that we had to, you know, herd mentality, all this stuff was keeping us alive. But then you know, in just the last hundred years of mass communications and travel, it got a lot easier to have like a better understanding of other communities, other cultures, other different things. And then really in the last like decade, two decades through social media, we have now a species that for hundreds of thousands of years was really good at just surviving thanks to finding like-minded people similar to us that we could trust and not getting much exposure to anything different. It is kind of a, a modern miracle that if you just happen to irrationally love corgis and everyone around you may not, um, you can find other people who love corgis just as much as you do and find some part of your soul that now gets fulfilled. And, and obviously there are higher stakes version of this, right? To be, uh, to, to grow up gay in a community where you can't literally talk to anyone about it, but online you can find plenty of folks who can and find this community. Like there's, there's a, there are modern miracles that come out of it, but our species is not really set up for it. Right. And we've had all kinds of things, good and bad come out of this, 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 uh, like sort of hyper leap forward. And I know we'll adapt. I feel, I feel I'm still an optimist at heart. And I think we as a species and a civilization will adapt to this, but this is a very, very new territory. And I, I really do. And I, I know you all do too, want the very best parts to come out of community and to come out of people having this kind of, of access and reach. But the first wave we saw, none of us were building anything terribly intentionally, uh, which is why social media is frankly, I think the way it is. And I, I do really hope web three is a chance for us to make it. We can't, we can't go back in time, but hopefully to yeah. improve. Well, Someone out there is named Purple Turtle 16 and it's the best day of their fucking Jeez, lives. I've just blown them up. I'm getting a lot of follows now, Purple Turtle 16. Alexis, <laughs> I want to thank you so much for coming on My the pleasure. podcast today. This is great. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Having you. Um, thank you. Thank you so much, man. This is yeah, awesome. Thank you so much yeah. for coming down. I'm excited for this fucking metaverse. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> tune out just yet producer fallon here to remind you that this, this is web3 do your own research and make your own decisions, decisions.
This podcast is not legal, financial, tax, or accounting advice, or an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy any financial product, currency, or security. The views expressed are opinions of the individual participants and are not any type of guarantee, representation, or warranty of any kind. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Or whenever we feel like it. Welcome to the fucking metaverse.